come over here. What's your name, boys? My name Willie Brown, sir. What you doing on this crossroads alone, Willie Brown? Robert Johnson told me I can make a deal here. A deal? <laughs> With who? Robert said man called Legba. You him? No, no, no. I'm his assistant. See here, you got to tell me what's on your mind, Willie Brown. I got two dollars. <laughs> well, your green don't buy nothing down where leg but come from, boy. Now you want to play like Robert Johnson? You want to play like Petey Wheatstraw? Well, say goodnight to your soul, son. Welcome to the Read This, Watch That podcast. I am Anthony. I am Dale. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Good, good. Staying warm? Barely, but yes. It's, it's, <laughs> I went to the gym this morning. It was negative 12. Wow. <laughs> right now it's like something like seven and I'm like, hey, you know what? It's going up almost 20 degrees. Yeah, it's a nice change. We went uh, much, last much night. Much better. Yeah, last night we went to a concert at uh, in the city, and um, we walked from the train station to the hall. And Whew. yeah, it was yeah. like I think it was like nine or ten, but it was windy. It was yeah, really the, windy. It's the wind that'll get you, right? Yeah, yeah. It it, it was bad. <laughs> and down there, if it's if it's blowing just the right way. It's it's just like a wind tunnel. Yeah, if it whips across some of the streets. Fortunately, we didn't have too much of that. It was it was windy, but it wasn't. You know, you didn't get those, you know, fifty mile an hour blasts. <laughs> yeah, well, it's supposed to be. I think uh, tomorrow it's going to be a lot warmer, and then like uh, Monday, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, starting on like Tuesday, maybe we're going to be up in the forties again. So I'll take it. Yep. At my age, I'll take it. We're going to talk today about the 1986 movie Crossroads, starring Ralph Macchio, Joe Seneca, Jamie Gertz, and a bunch of other people we can talk about. It was directed by Walter Hill, and it is the story of Eugene Martone, a would-be blues guitarist, and his odyssey with the Joe Seneca character, Willie Brown. And I think they could have called this Karate Kid 2. Because <laughs> it's almost the same plot, which is a good plot, don't get me wrong. But except for the fact that, that the Ralph Macchio character actually had proficiency in the field, um, it's kind of the same plot. <laughs> if if Mr. Miyagi was a cantankerous, <laughs> grumpy old man, <laughs> uh, cantankerous, yeah, grumpy old blues man, yeah, not a good men, not 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 a mentor in the way that Mr. Miyagi was. Right. Is that a first watch for you? First watch, yes. Um, what, but, very, uh, but but I gotta say, uh, first watch and. I was really happy to see some of the actors that were in this movie. Some people that I really like, like Joe Seneca, even though he's only been in a couple of movies, he, he is a presence in every movie I've seen him in, just really just two movies, which is the verdict in, in this one. And he's just a 
really strong presence. Uh, I really like him a lot as a character actor. Um, Joe Morton. Joe Morton's great. He's always who's, great. Who's always great. And I got introduced to Joe Morton many, many years ago. Uh, I think one of his first movies was uh, A Brother from Another Planet. Right. Which is this really weird movie, but uh, a lot of fun. Um, uh, uh, who else was in it? Uh, John Hancock. Uh, yes. Who played one of the sheriffs. Uh, Sheriff Tilford. One, who's just, again, another just great character actor who I love seeing, uh, in films. Um, so I was, I, you know, when I, when I was watching it, I didn't look at the cast beforehand to, you know, see who was in it. It, it was kind of, so for me, seeing all these people was a little bit of a surprise, but it was really a pleasant surprise. It was really nice to see such a strong set of character actors, um, bit, in this movie. Bit, bit part uh, with, uh, Alan Arbus, better known as, um, Sid, uh, Sidney Friedman, the psych, Psychiatrist on Mash. Oh, that's right. That's where I saw him. Yes, 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 yes. I forgot all about that. Yes. So I picked this. I picked this movie partly out of nostalgia, partly because it's a very frustrating movie in that there's some really good bits. There's some yep. really good bits in it, um, and I also love that blues folklore and i'm just not sure if there's another movie out there uh other than documentaries that that addresses those kind of that that great blues folklore it's just a frustrating movie which we can talk about but i i was what were your initial your initial impressions i think what you just said makes a lot of sense there were there were a couple of things about the movie that I that I, I liked and really more moments than anything else. Um, I think it didn't quite work. It didn't kind of hit home the way um, I think it was intended to. Um, and I think it really falls flat in a lot of ways. Now, bear in mind, while I do know, you know, blues a bit, and I am a big fan of some of the things that, for example, that Ry Cooter does, um, who was the, I, I think he did a fair amount of the music. He may yes. have played some of it and he was certainly the supervisor. He's a well-known name in, in American, uh, American music. Um, and I really I, like the, the stuff he did for the movie Southern Comfort, uh, I thought was just fantastic. And it sent me down a wonderful rabbit hole that, um, um, I actually go back to um, frequently to listen to some of what you might, uh, some people have referred to as kind of primitive guitar move music from people like Peter Lang and, and John Fahey and people like that. So, um, you know, I really kind of like that a little bit more out there stuff, but I'm not a big blues music guy. It's just never been something that has appealed to me. And um I've never really, I appreciate, you know, the mythology and all of that, but it's just never something that has held a particular interest for me. And so, you know, I was kind of, uh, okay, you know, I get what's going on. And it, it just, it was not particularly compelling uh, for me just as a, as a premise because of that. I, I like, I appreciate the, the blues as a American 
you know, as a real authentic American art form. Yep, me too. And a little goes a long way for me, though. Mm -hmm. Um, I just could not sit and, you know, listen to hour upon hour. Yeah, I never understood how people go to those blues clubs in Chicago and and places. Just, I I don't get it. And much like, much like, um, you know, as much as I like listening to people talk about people like H.P. Lovecraft or, uh, you know, reading about, his, you know, critics talking about his work, the, the blues kind of fall into that for me. I kind of rather watch a documentary about Robert Johnson and kind of the whole the, the folklore and the mystery mm. surrounding him yep. than listen to a lot of the music. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. It's just one of it's just one of those it's just one of those things with me. Um, I enjoy it, but like I said, a little goes a long way. And I think, and it was the movie was Roy Cooter. Yeah, he he did the um the whatever was original in the movie he did. You said he was involved in Southern Comfort, which is funny because Walter Hill directed Southern Comfort. Walter Hill directed this, so mm-hmm. Walter Hill must like working with Roy Cooter. Um. So uh, briefly, this is uh, Ralph Macchio plays Eugene Martone. He is a classical guitarist major at Juilliard. He's only 17 years old. That's how good he is. But he also has this side passion for blues, reading about it, playing it, listening to it, you name it. He believes that the late, great Robert Johnson uh had a lost song when he went to do two record well he there was two recording sessions in tech Robert Johnson did two recording sessions in Texas one in Dallas and one in San Antonio uh 1936 1937 i believe he recorded a total of 29 songs so they used that to you know to say it was a 30th song and Ralph Macchio believes the only man alive who would know that song is a harmonica player by the name of Willie Brown, who he tracks down uh, living in New York City in a... <laughs> I don't know what that place is. They never... It, it's a jail, but it's a jail for people who are old and need assisted living. Yeah, that's what I thought, but it's not a prison. I mean, New York doesn't do that. If you're old and in prison, <laughs> you're in prison. Yeah. <laughs> if you're old and sick, you're in a special prison where there's basically a, a medical unit. We don't have, like, nursing homes slash <laughs> uh, minimum security old age homes. We're not that enlightened. But um, he takes a job there so he can get to see... Willie Brown, he encounters Willie Brown, who denies his identity for a while. So can we pause there for a moment? Because there's something I'd like to I'd like to just point out here. Yeah. Um, an interesting thing that this is one of the things that I, I kind of liked about the movie. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the Ralph Macchio's character. Um, when he first goes to see Willie Brown, Willie Brown says, no, not going to. It tells the nurse, no, I'm not going to talk to anybody, right? Right. So he has to figure out another way to um, go and, and, and talk to him. And there's a scene of him in the hallway. And he looks at the janitor's closet, right? He sees people there. And kind of the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, he's going to go 
you know, steal some overalls, right? And pretend he's a janitor and sneak in. But he doesn't. He he goes and he gets a job to do that. Yep. Right? He mm-hmm. he stays on kind of the straight and narrow. Yes, he's he is, you know, to a certain degree by trick, you know, going to see this guy, but he's not breaking any laws, he's not breaking any rules, he's upfront about what he's doing, right? And 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 tells him that. And that that aspect of Ralph Macchio's character, they hold th- through through a lot of the movie, both in kind of trite ways, but also in some, I thought, some actually really well done ways as well. Um, but they really hit it right out of the gate. I mean, he's he is he is a he's a good person and he tries to follow the rules. That's a good observation. You know, I didn't really think about it that that much number one or in that way but that's that is a good point he is the he's the guy that walks the the straight line as much as he can yeah and they he makes some pretty big deviations don't get me wrong but (laughs) but he does yeah out of necessity but there is a lot of good so he confronts he uh, he's able to confront joe seneca's character willie brown with some facts and figures and, you know, his research and he played harmonica and this, that, and the other thing. And I think the interactions, one of the great things I like about this is the interactions um, in just about every scene Joe Seneca is in as Willie Brown. When he tells him, it's really funny when he says, I I got six cousins named Willie Brown. The guy down at the market is named Willie Brown. Yeah, and, he, and he's like, "You're not the Willie Brown who Robert Johnson calls out to in Crossroad Blues." Shit, no, Robert Johnson. But it, all those interactions are, I, I think, really good. And also, I find very entertaining his constantly dunking on Ralph Macchio, who considers himself a blues man, <laughs> and he asks. Joe Seneca asks him where he's from. He says Long Island, and the response is classic: Long Island, home of the blues, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just the constant dunking on Long Island. Because I was going to ask you this, um, you know, not to reveal too much of your personal information, but you went to you're a musician, uh, or I don't know if you consider yourself a musician or a former mu- musician. I played saxophone. I played tenor saxophone for six years, and I don't really think I improved after year two. And I don't consider myself a musician. But you went to school for for a while. Were did you run into anyone like Ralph Macchio in the sense of they were there for one thing, but kind of got caught up? In something else is that a is that a thing do do some music students get bored with their chosen kind of fields and start branching out i was just curious oh yeah i mean i think that in the um certainly in the class i mean so i went to i went to juilliard when i was in high school so they have a, a program for high school students um and actually for younger students as well um and I met a lot of people there um, who were remarkable musicians. You know, I, w- I was I was okay. Uh, um, I was never anything to shout about. Um, 
Um, and at, at Juilliard, I had the opportunity to meet people who were, you know, really very good and who are now, you know, professional musicians out there in the world. And um, I remember distinctly, I had a, a, someone who I used to hang out with quite a bit, and he was a fantastic pianist. I mean, just fantastic. But it was for him work. It was something his parents made him do from a very young age. And um, even though he was brilliant, he just didn't want to do it. And I, the last I heard from him, he was dropping everything to, to follow the Grateful Dead around the country. Um, and I saw it when I went to, when I went to school after high school, I went to a, a music conservatory and it kind of saw it there as well, you know, people who were going to study classical music, but were also interested in jazz, say, um, or something else. And, you know, they would find those ways to, to kind of do the crossover. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a dynamic that I've seen um, all over again. And quite frankly, it is kind of, that's Miles Davis story. Yeah. He, he went yes. to Juilliard and, you know, kind of, Yes. gave up the classical music side right and became one of the you know one of the great jazz musicians <laughs> miles davis didn't pick it up on the streets listening to people he he was a classically trained yeah uh, pep benatar as well classically oh, trained. i didn't know that yeah oh i think i did know that actually reminded me yeah so our boy eugene martone does get a little pushback um he is is uh, called into his professor's office to say, hey, listen, uh, you came here, you're one of the best classical guitarists at the school, but you can't serve two masters. Um, so he gets a little, he's getting a little pushback there. Um, but he says wants... Something, says something interesting to... Well, I was going to ask you, can we talk about that later? Sure, sure. Is, is, it about, is, about, is it about, quote, primitive music? Yes. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that later. If I want to hold that for sure. kind of the end conversation. Yeah. But Ralph Macho really, he does have an ulterior motive. He wants to get that song from Willie Brown, and he wants that to be his entree into the into the blues field. And um, there are, I wanted to go back. The opening scene, I love the flashbacks. I think they're excellent. I, they're done in this kind of sepia tone. Yep. And the first... The opening is a flashback with Robert Robert Johnson standing alone at this dirt crossroads. And I think the crossroads are great. Just that one tree on that one corner, the way they have it set up. Yep. It's it's very evocative it uh, to to me. Um and in the as he kind of gets to know Willie Brown he brings his guitar in to show him that he actually knows how to play. And I think uh, Willie's impressed. There's there's one area where kind of Willie kind of smiles and is like, yeah, you know, this kid, this kid actually has something. But what he lacks, I love the constant refrain that he lacks mileage to play yeah. the blues. Yeah. Um, which is which is great. And then the, the, there's a scene where. I wanted to get to this real quick. The scene where Willie is making a a drawing of a crossroads, and then you get the flashback of Willie as a young man standing at the crossroads, 
an old car. I it's like nine. I'd guess it's like nineteen what twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine. Pulls up, and Joe Morton's in the car, and it's the classic. He's at the crossroads to sell his soul to the devil, and it's a great scene. But Joe Morton is so charismatic in that scene, yeah. <laughs> just the way he talks yeah. to him. Yeah, you know what you doing, Willie Brown? What you doing standing at this crossroads? And it's, I, I came to, <clears throat> I was told I I could make a deal, and uh, he's like, I got two dollars. I don't want your money, and he pulls out the the contract and has has Willie sign it. Gets back in the car, tells him to be there every Saturday night before midnight and learn the blues. Yeah, that seems to be. It looks like if you're going to be working uh, under a contract with the devil, you got to still put in, you got to still put in some rehearsal time. Got to practice. When he leans over and says, I'm a little low on gas. I could use that $2. I just, that's that's so (laughs) hysterical. And that's, that that guy's played by Joe Morton. He's only listed as, as Scratch's assistant. Scratch, obviously, being an old, old term for, for the devil. But ultimately, you know, Eugene wants the song. Willie knows he wants the song, but Willie needs to get back to Mississippi. So he wants to. Do we want to talk about his motive? His motive is, yeah, that scene at the crossroads, right? He, he Tell wants us to, about that. He wants to break. Well, he sold his his soul, and he wants out of his contract. Yeah. Good luck with that, right? Yeah. And he better get a good lawyer, Willie. Yeah, I don't think he has one. So Willie's going to use Eugene couple, though too. He's a couple of movies short. He's a couple of Ralph <laughs> Macchio movies short. Of having a <laughs> <laughs> you get Joe Pesci down there for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but 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 now the tables are turned. Willie's going to use Eugene, and says, you know, I'll give you that song, but you got to bust me out of here. Right. Which Eugene thinks is insane, but of course it's a 1986 movie. <laughs> It has to be a story. So yes. it is done, and they're on the road. Done quite easily, too. <laughs> Very easily for what's supposedly a fictitious minimum security prison old folks home with, with no real COs in the, you know, the COs are dressed, they look like orderlies. Yeah, so it was all bullshit. Yeah. Um, not to mention the fact that if it either, if it was a public, if it was a municipal nursing home or a Department of Corrections facility. Nobody has their own room. Yeah, not yeah. gonna happen. He had his own room with a, a, a its own, you know, a separate bathroom. It looked like. And, oh, it's nice. And shaped it. Yeah, I would. I would live there. The 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 most of the rest of the movie is not unlike Karate Kid. Is is Ralph Macchio and and Joe Seneca are trying to make their way all the way back to what was it? Uh, Fulton's Landing near Yazoo City in Mississippi. Yeah. And this is the kind of the the right? This is the mileage that yes. he is going to need to be an actual blues musician. And they go through a number of a, a number of, of adventures. First off, being getting off in Memphis, w- Willie lied about having money. He had like forty dollars. So then they they're gonna what's he called? Hobo it. Yep. Pretty much they're they're gonna 
walk, hitchhike from Memphis to some 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 place in yeah, Mississippi. Yeah. Right. And um they do have um uh was there it was there an int- like a most interesting encounter anything about any of the encounters they have um that struck you specifically i think the answer is no there was nothing in any of the specific encounters that kind of made me um pause or take note but this goes back to one of my earlier points so i'll you know their their trip down they meet um, Francis, uh, Jamie Gertz, who's played by Jamie Gertz, who is they had to do that, right? They had to have the yeah, love interest, have to have, have the love interest, and and they have to have the love interest so that he can have his heart broken, right? That's part and, of his that, education, right? Yeah, and that wasn't uh, I wasn't being snide about that in this particular movie. I think it is almost a necessity. Yeah. I it it absolutely is. I, I they don't do it quite strong enough in in my opinion. But the um they have various adventures and and this is this is kind of what I want to going back to my point about Ralph Macchio before. One of the things that they they do is is Joseph Nix's character is not a kindly old man no. by any stretch of the mag- imagination. He pulls a gun on somebody. <laughs> he 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 you know when when they first meet francis she pulls a knife on them because she's afraid and don't know who they are because she's squatting in a house um to get in out of the rain and they're trying to do the same thing and he you know takes the knife from her and um you know essentially uses uses her to because she's a better person to be able to get rides right He's not a particularly, you know, friendly, nice guy. He's no. He's got, you know, that he lived. He's lived that life, and he's he's brutal when he needs to be brutal. He is not, um, you know, shy of thievery and trickery, right? They roll a, a you know, a would be pimp, right? And steal his car and steal his money, Lloyd, and yeah, and uh, and. The two of them, interestingly enough, um, Willie Brown and Friends, are you know they're like okay, this is what we're doing. We're gonna we're gonna you know take this step. We're gonna steal this money. We're gonna do. And Ralph Macchio in each one of these instances is going, whoa, wait a minute, I, I, you're you're crazy. And also, um, so they see Francis like going in to prostitute herself, or that's what it looks like. And Willie's kind of like, okay, she's gonna go make some money. And Ralph Macchio says, wait a minute, this is, this is not right. <laughs> right. And he gets very concerned about those things. And he, Willie just cocks his eye open and closes it again to get some sleep. Yeah. It's like they know the road and Macchio doesn't. And it's not done in, you know, particularly. It, it, some of it was is a little bit trite, but a lot of it isn't. A lot of it is this really kind of very stark and kind of brutal hey this is the way it is it's the road you know when you don't have options you do what you have to do and it was like she's on the road 
she needs to do what she needs to do was is kind of Willie's right. Willie's attitude because we need to do what we need to do, and I'm not going to interfere with her business. Yeah. Whereas Machio wants to be kind of the knight in shining armor. Right. Or at least adhere to a moral code or moral sensibility right. that maybe doesn't doesn't work necessarily all the time. And that that needs to be and this is kind of where I think the movie kind of doesn't quite work. It needs to be the theory this is the theory of the movie, right? That needs to be shattered. It needs to be broken so that he can have that life experience that's going to empower him right to be able to actually be a blues man that's the central conceit right in the whole movie right is that you have to have these experiences you have to it has to be it has to be tough it has to be difficult right it it has you have to have world weariness right to be able to to play the blues and um again i think in some instances, they actually do it well, but in others, not so well. And the aggregate of it is that they really don't, in my opinion with this movie, they really don't show that in any meaningful way, Ralph Macchio's character having actually gone through this other than him sitting at the table saying, oh, wow, Francis is gone and I, I'm really gonna miss her. Yeah, uh, that's all a really good point. There, you never. Uh, th- I, I, I'm glad you pointed that out. I think that's insightful. There's never, except for the ending, there's never really a point in time where you feel things aren't going to work out for Ralph Macchio's character. That he's not a phone call away to an uncle, to an aunt, to a father, where he can't get wired some money and get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that sense, he doesn't get that actual you know, that actual, the real, the city miles. <laughs> right. As opposed to the highway miles. <laughs> right, right. Um, the, uh, there was a one bit that stood out to me as, as kind of, I mean, it's a very formulaic movie, which is fine. It's a 1980s movie. Um, it's, a, it's a formula. There was one encounter that I did, I liked. They hold up in a barn for the night uh, somebody must have found out and then the next morning they're being rousted by the sheriffs oh yeah and yeah, yeah, yeah. they are put in a car and they're taken to the county line and the sheriff comes and of course the sheriff is big john hancock what a big dude that guy is died young died a few years after this he was only about 51 Oh, really? That's when he passed away. Yeah, which is why you never, you know, it, it's kind of like you seem to have, you see him in some movies and some TV shows and then he disappeared. Yeah, he, I think this is 86 and he died in like 91 or 92. Hmm. Heart heart problems and he he was a big guy. But they're, 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 the, one of the, the deputy has taken Francis's money and is it going to give it back? They're, they're corrupt and they're rousting these people. And they're shipping them over to the next county. But they're African-American authority figures, which I thought was an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Which gives Willie the great line about, you know, basically some things don't change no, no matter what. Yeah, it's, <laughs> things changed a lot since I was around here last. Yeah. And 
then again, other things happen. (laughs) Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. That was really good. That you're absolutely right. I thought that was actually that was one of the high points of the movie was to 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 point that out, to do that, to have those lines, and I thought it was done well. I mean, I've always said that I think minorities, African Americans, and women have every right to screw up the world as much as we white men have. Oh yeah. So good luck to you. Have at it. But I thought that was that was an interesting twist. Uh, well, not a twist, but an interesting angle to take. The let's see what else. Um, I really like the parts w- when they're finally where they need to be in the area of where they need to be, and and uh, Willie. Oh, well, let's back up. There's a good scene. I th- I figured it was coming. It, it it wasn't something that was that was a surprise and a, a uh, it's a bit of a trope. But they're in a town. He sends he sends Eugene into the the white side of the the, the bar on the white side of the street, <laughs> and Willie walks into the bar on the African American side of the street. Right. I uh, of course Ralph screws it up and he ends up in in the 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 juke. And all the all the people in the juke are looking at him and Francis like, come on, guys, can we have our own place? You're, you should be on the other side of the street. We, you know, we can't be in your bar. What are you doing here? Right. But I thought the performance was the music was great when he, he did when um, um, Willie gets up in that that song about yep. Willie Brown. I thought yep. that was a good piece. Of, I enjoyed that. That was that's a good that so was a it- good song. Interesting little, uh, just a little digression. So Joe Seneca was the part of a singing group for mm-hmm. many, many years in his young age. So he was, he was there and he has, he actually wrote a couple of hit songs that other artists um, um, used to, to great effect, particularly back in the, in this, I think sixties and seventies, and but maybe even into the eighties, some of them were used, you know, kind of remakes. Um, so I, I don't know this, but if he was if he was performing it himself, I would not be surprised. It certainly looked like he was singing. It did. So I would not be at all be surprised if he if he was. Um, it's interesting you should you should bring that one up. I thought that was also one of those moments that in the movie that I thought was done really well when they get kicked out of the bar, right? It, you're right. It's kind of a trope. Oh, they're gonna, you know, he's gonna go screw it up. And it's, you know, she she, you know, kind of, you know flash you know bats her pretty eyes and you know dances with some you know idiot and then she <laughs> she picks his pocket right and he he figures it out and accuses her of it and she denies it and ralph macchio comes to her defense right and all this stuff and and it starts to kind of turn into a little bit of a mess he kind of figures oh 80s trope oh it's going to turn into a bar fight and they're going to slip out the back door right but that doesn't happen Right. It turns into a bar fight, but then the bartender stops it. I think it like shoots a gun or something, gets everybody's attention. And he knows, right, the locals. And so he goes, you guys stop fighting. <laughs> he racks his double barrel shotgun for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, but, he, but he's yeah. Right. Yeah. But he but he says then he's he good. Says, yeah. He, and he says to Francis, he says, you know, that guy, whatever his name was. <laughs> it was something like Harley's dumb. Right. But yeah, he's dumb. <laughs> But he doesn't deserve, you know, to to have things stolen from him. And he and his family need the money. So if you took the wallet, give it back. 
Yes. And it, w- it was this it was this really nice moment of taking seriously right what you know the way people are and, and not just having caricatures you know be there in the movie. It's a real person, right? He may be dumb and he may be, you know, an idiot, uh, you know, for doing what he's doing, but possibly, a, he, possibly a pederast, but possibly a pederast, <laughs> yes. Because we never know really how old Francis no, is. No, we don't do it, which is hysterical. <laughs> so kinda. But, yeah, uh, I, I agree. That that bartender, um, I wish I thought I had jotted down his name, but I didn't. That Harry bartender Carey Jr. Yeah, that's right. He's kind of like uh, Hollywood royalty. His, his dad yeah. was involved in the movies, and yeah. I think his mom and his uncle, and yeah. Um, interesting guy, but that is a mature way to handle that, rather than them, like, dodging, die-harding their way out of the bar through the back door with, right. the, with the wallet. Right. Yeah, that's a... Uh, that's a... I, I thought that was a good scene. Uh, I thought it was a trope, but it was good. And I, but they untroped it at the end. Yeah. Well, they also, I think the performance too of Joe Seneca when he turns and says, You stay on your side of the street, I'll stay on mine. Yeah. yeah. Heartfelt there. Yeah. It seems like, you know, because he was an older man at the time. And um, as, you know, we're not there yet in terms of, um, you know, racism in this country, but as a young man, he probably, as a young man traveling with, with his with the musical group you know back in the what the, i think that would have been wasn't he doing music as far back as like the 40s and then into the 50s and early 60s i think so yeah he probably a encountered ago. a lot of stuff back then oh yeah um, that he normally would have anyways but <clears throat> he was probably traveling and so there was a bit of <clears throat> excuse me there was a bit of an edge to that comment about you go to your side of the street. I'll stay on my side of the street, which I thought was, which I thought was um, effective. Yeah. I also like the part and I, which is really why I love this movie. The, the part, the bits I really like um, when he goes to the old uh, bra, uh, Bordello. Yeah. Looking for somebody he knew, you know, way back when, and it, he meets the granddaughter of that woman. They walk in and, you know, he looks around. She says, you know, grandma used to talk about you. And he says, oh, she was a good friend of mine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Then he just walks up to her and says, you know, uh, you know, of a crossroads around here, a special place. You know, the language I'm talking. Yeah. And she just looks at him. And I, I, I don't know what it is about that kind of thing. But I, I like, you know, it wasn't like um, I'm looking for the crossroads where I sold my soul to the devil. Can you help me out? It's kind of like it, I don't know if this is true or not, but at least in the universe of the movie, it's it seems like a very cultural thing, um, time and place. You know, this part of Mississippi, you know, you know, she's from that part of Mississippi because she's she knows what what that means. Yep. And she doesn't look and it it's not a, you know, um it's it's not a positive. <clears throat> yeah. Not, she doesn't take it she, the oh, look yeah, on I her eyes. Right she, she yeah, <laughs> I, we go there all the time. She doesn't take it lightly, I guess is what I'm trying to say. This this yeah. exchange. This is serious business now, so she has her 
their brother or somebody drive them to the to the crossroads and then um then we kind of hurry on to <laughs> hurry on to the finish um can we can we go back to or uh, you can save this to the end but um, you can go back to whatever you want the the, the the music teacher's comments or do you want to wait oh we can talk about that right now before we talk about when we actually meet legba well actually let's talk about it in the cut because as right. i'm thinking about it it would be good to talk through those last scenes I think so. They go to the crossroads, and it looks exactly the same. It's not even paved. No, um, it's just. And in legend, it was like Route sixty one and Route forty nine in Mississippi, supposedly, right? But um, they go there. Eugene has to start playing, and the car. And he doesn't take any of this seriously. Eugene. He's this kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, no, because he's he's heard the story and he's kind of like, yeah. come on, really, guys? He's read about this. <laughs> he's a real blues historian, so he's read about these because Johnson's not the only one that supposedly sold their soul to the devil at the crossroads. It's kind of like a, a thing. Um, in the distance, you see a car coming yes. along. What kind of car was that? Oh, it's, a, it's a horrible car. It's a, it's a Pontiac Firebird transit. It was really not... I thought it was a, a, a I thought it was a uh, flashier, better car. My, until I I rewatched the movie. Here comes Joe Morton as uh, scratches Legba's assistant again, and he pulls up and I just you know what he's pretty much like, you know what you doing here for eyes, yep. um, and and I like uh, Willie Brown's attitude is like, I need to talk to your boss. I don't want to talk to you, wise ass. And yeah. he calls the woman in the car, or you. I don't. I don't have time to talk to you or your bitch. Yeah. And he's like, "Ooh, boy." <laughs> um, he drives away, and then we see Robert Judd, who, yeah. un- as uh, Legba, um, we should probably say Legba is a um, a voodoo Haitian uh, figure. Who is not the devil? Um, I don't know why they chose Legba. Um, in some cultures, he's a more of a trickster. In others, he's just kind of the the guardian of. Um, and I don't. I did some quick research on all this, but Legba is not a devil figure in in the the um, in you know voodoo culture. Um, but gotcha. they picked him as the name, and it's. <clears throat> well, that, that, but then they say now he goes by scratch. Now he goes by scratch because it's yeah. been a long time, and it's Robert Judd who unfortunately um, passed away a couple weeks after filming and before the film came out of oh. um, cancer. Yeah, but I think he's great as the devilish, great devilish figure. It's like <laughs> Willie Brown. I haven't seen you <laughs> since you were what seventeen? Last time I saw you here, <laughs> and. Uh, and they, uh, you know, he says he wants out. Willie Brown wants out of his contract. Things didn't turn out the way they were supposed to. Right. Things that, you know, wasn't supposed to be. And uh, and he's just, Legba's just smiling like, uh, well, you know. Uh, That's the way life is. Everything, you know. Never, never is as what, what you, <laughs> good as you what you want. Yeah. It's never as good as what you want. It doesn't seem like a reason to cancel a contract. <laughs> and then, um. 
uh, you know, that there's a challenge. And of course, he knows Willie doesn't play guitar because I love uh, the way Robert Judd delivers the line, the lines with that. It's not really, an, it's just an inflection about got a real good guitar player named Jack Butler. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to basically is a challenge, right? And yes. Ralph is um, dumb enough to take it up because Willie doesn't play guitar. Right. Then they are transported to really the all valley under 18 karate tournament. Yep. Where he's up against the Johnny Lawrence guitar players. And I have to say this. All right. I don't know about you. Um, except for the ending, which you, you, even though they apparently filmed two endings and I don't know what the actual, uh, kind of the downer ending was they filmed two endings audience hated the downer ending so they went with this there's no way things aren't going to turn out okay for willie and 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 eugene yes but for the most part i thought steve Vai was a better guitar player and would have i would have voted for him yeah well um except except when they set it up to have eugene win yeah (laughs) playing his uh was that was that mozart uh no, it was it was not Mozart. It was some guitar composer, most likely Spanish. Um, but I I can't remember who. I I think I looked it up at one point. It it was yeah some piece of classical music that he kind of bluesed up a little bit. So uh, that's now. really kind of the ending, and and yeah. I, there's no nothing really except um we can say Legba is a man of his word. Yeah. Tore up the contract. Yep, tore up the contract. And, and all Steve I couldn't keep up with the classical music. No, no. Um, what a guitar player, though. Like in real life, um, fantastic mm-hmm. guitar player. So um, that's really the end of the movie. I don't, is, if there's stuff you want to talk about. Well, they, they, it's, it's actually, I think, a pretty good ultimate ending because then the, the actual ending is they're back on the road, the dirt road. And they're on their way again because they're still in the middle of nowhere. You know, they've, they've got Willie Brown's soul back, but that's it. And um, they're talking about going to Chicago and yep. getting into some of the blues clubs there. And it's really nice because the last line is Willie Brown saying, I actually, I, I really would like to go to Chicago in style. I, I'd like to take a plane. <laughs> and then they just walk, they just see them walking down the dirt road. I thought that was, I thought that was actually pretty, pretty nice. The uh, oh, the one other thing when they first meet Francis and they're introducing themselves, I just love, I, I just love all the parts where he's, he's pretty much deriding Ralph Macchio. Um, she introduces, she says, "I'm Fran. Who are you guys?" And <laughs> Ralph Macchio says, "We're bluesmen." Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Willie Brown says, "I'm a bluesman. He's from Long Island." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just, I just, I, I just love it because. Well, let's let's okay. We can address that because I was going to ask you that question. Uh, in the first fifteen minutes of the movie, somewhere he is told by his professor that proficiency in primitive music is cultural. You need to be born to it, and I actually had written that down to ask you, as a musician and somebody who went to school for music, what your take on that? That because like. Because as a, like I said, I was, I never considered myself a musician. I I fiddled around with the tenor sax and 
in um, middle school and high school jazz band. That was about it. I, if I was workmanlike at it, um, that was a good day. Mm. Um, I could kind of see some of his points. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your, you want to talk about it? Yeah. What was your take? Yeah, so it, there's there's a lot of really, I think, interesting stuff going on with the music here and the portrayal of music and kind of what it is and, and what it takes to be good at it, right, and to, to be good. So, so number one, I, I just, I have to get this off my chest because I really, the one part of this movie that I really hated was all of this kind of, well, I'm a blues man and you're not. Right. Like, it, I just... It just got to me. It was childish, and I did not. I did not like it. Um, but it got it got old. Yeah, it got old very quick. You could drop it a it, couple it, times because you could imagine yeah. an old guy being yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, you don't play the blues. You're just some some teenager from Long Island, right? Yeah, you can you can bend a string, but so what? You don't. There's nothing. There's no real there there, right? Yeah, they really beat that. They really yeah. beat that dead. But that whole kind of you're not a blues man kind of stuff. I just it just ugh, I did not like that. But anyway, in any event, it's a it's a really interesting comment, right, to say that um, it's it's a cultural thing, right, that to to be really good at something, it's a cultural thing. You have to be seeped within the culture. And I think that if you if you take a look at world music you can kind of see that that can be the case, right? So Indian classical music is, for most people in the West, completely incomprehensible. It, you, 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 you literally do not know what you're listening to. You, you have no points of reference. You don't know what's exciting, what's not exciting. There's this great recording of Ravi Shankar back in the whenever he was, you know, getting famous in the West, where he and his orchestra, right, they're 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 playing, and they stop, and and everybody starts applauding, and he goes to the mic, he says, uh, uh, "Thank you, we, uh, thank you for applauding uh, the tuning of our instruments." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <clears throat> um, so I think that there is, you know, there's a there's a degree to which culture can be very meaningful right to being able to understand and i think and also to perform um certain types of music at at certain times i think that's that's absolutely true and certainly in extreme circumstances but the difference between you know me listening to you know take some you know east asian company's traditional music right that has all of this cultural um meaning to it as compared to listening to blues music which originated in the united states and is the backbone for um you know almost all popular music right in the united states today it's kind of that's you know came out of ragtime and all that and it formed the basis for um you know everything that came after there's not a huge massive cultural difference right i i when i hear a blues player playing a chord it is not different from hearing a chord in a um bach cantata maybe a different chord but it is used in a very similar way right 
the harmonies, the melodies, what is dissonant, what is not dissonant, what a melodic line is, what it isn't. All of those things are completely accessible. They may not be, um, uh, you know, they may not be familiar, but they're all accessible, right? You're closer to it. And despite the chasm of difference between, you know, my cultural experience growing up as I did and someone who grew up in the, you know, as a, as a black American in the, you know, aughts and teens and twenties and 19, you know, aughts, teens and twenties. And in Mississippi, for example, is, you know, it's a world of difference. We still speak the same language. The music has the same origin, right? It, it, it's all there. And so that cultural difference is not to me massive. Now, what's the difference between somebody who's proficient and good Right. And somebody who is an acknowledged master, you know, pick your person, a BB King or, or whomever. Um, there's this notion in the movie, right, that this this musicologist says, well, it's cultural. You're never going to get there because it's not in, you know, it's not your culture. And I don't believe that. I think that's wrong. And the reason that I think that it's wrong is because. I think those lived experiences, right, can come from any sort of lived experiences, right? So, um, uh, you know, take any great loss, right? A heartbreak, right? A woman leaves you. Well, I, I don't have to be from the Delta to have my heart broken by a woman, <laughs> right? I mean, that can no, happen anywhere, yeah, right? It, it, I'm sure it has happened everywhere. Right, exactly. So, I mean, there there are all these different things that I think you can attach to that you don't you, right, you don't need exactly the same sort of lived experience to have those same emotions and feelings and to tap into them, right? In order to be a, a performer of your music. So, I think it's I, I I so I think while at the same while I agree with the statement that it is cultural, I think that is absolutely right. I think that there's an element to it that is cult that is absolutely cultural and that, you know, the chances of somebody like me being able to play music that has been, you know, developed by, crafted by, and perfected by people who have a very different lived experience. Yeah, it's going to be harder for me to do that. But is it impossible? I, I don't think so, right? I, I think that that piece of it is wrong. And I think, quite frankly, I think we've proven the movie that though, right? tries to, yeah, and I think we have proven it. And I think that the movie it agrees with me. I think it takes that attitude because in the end, of course, Ralph Macchio is supposed to have, you know, mastered this and he beats Steve. Uh, now, Steve, I had sold his soul though. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and also this is a part of the movie that I thought was terrible. I mean, if, if you're going to put him up against a blues player, Steve, I is fantastic. Don't, this is not a criticism of Steve. I, but I don't think that people would say he's the shining example of American blues music. No. I, and, and, and they did that. I read about this. They did that purposefully because they wanted to try to have a better audience, right, with, with this last scene. So they figured, ah, Steve Vai, he's got a blues background, but he's also, you know, doing this other stuff and we'll get him. They actually considered Frank Zappa uh, as well as some other people for that role, which, which I thought was very interesting. But... Um, the the musicians who were associated with the movie were very upset that they did that. They really wanted it to be more of a you know tr more of a traditional blues player, which I kind of I I would have liked to have seen um, myself as well because I think 
that part of it I, I felt was, even though I'm a firm believer that music is always changing and evolving. And um, I think Steve I is an example of that, right? Coming out of a blues tradition, but putting his own mark on it, right? Changing it as he goes along. And I fully appreciate that for purposes of the movie. I think it would have been better if it was a more traditional blues player. Well, Steve Vai is also from Long Island, which I thought was funny. Oh, is he really? Uh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jack Butler. We, we, we don't know where Jack Butler, the character, yeah. is from. Um, yeah, that's interesting because I think we have enough examples of just, um, you know, white blues players, uh, black uh, classical music. It's it it, it a, a B minor chord is a B minor chord. So if I'm listening, uh, t- if I'm listening on my phone to a to a blues track, I don't know who's playing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't. You know, I don't know. But I also and, understand and almost- the the. There's a little bit more to it. It's not just, it's not just the music. It's it's kind of the whole image and lifestyle of the. Tr- of basically, they were troubadours. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but he was very in calling it primitive music was a little bit. Uh, I think that was supposed to be a, a little a dig at his elitism as well. It probably was. It's interesting. It's not. It's not a term that. And now I'm going back a number of years since I was studying music, but it was not, it, it was when I heard it used when I was, and I think I used the term earlier, it's to me, it's not at all a, um, a negative term in, in any means. I mean, it's a, it's a way to describe kind of unpacking some of the refinement of some of the kind of the core of where some of this music comes from and really getting at those roots and in, in, in kind of the original uh, sense of it. And I think people like John Fahey, you know, he, I think he, he kind of coined the term primitive guitar um, because he thought that's what he was doing was kind of really stripping away and getting back to some of those, you know, those core roots. And I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it is a valid way to, kind of just, you know, talk about a type of, of music. Now, I agree with you. I think in the movie, it was meant to kind of create a little bit of that sense of elitism. But also at the same time, it, the, the professor didn't, he, he didn't kind of say, you know, why are you wasting your time, you know, with this stuff that's not, you know, worth your attention because you're really good at, you know, this really high, you know, fancy form of music that you really should be paying attention to. He really said, look, you're really good at classical music. You really like the blues. It's going to be really hard for you to keep those two interests going. You got to prioritize. And oh, by the way, my view with this, you know, quote, primitive music, there's a cultural aspect of mastering it that you're just not going to, you know, you're not going to be able to achieve. So they didn't, it wasn't. It wasn't over again with like a lot of the less rest of the movie. I thought this was done actually really well. It wasn't kind of that you know what you might expect. You know, oh, fancy bow tie wearing you know professor, right? Kind <laughs> it, of yeah. It wasn't John Houseman just yeah. integrating an entire 
field of music. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that I thought that was actually I thought it was done subtly and nicely. Uh, so I was okay with it. And interestingly, and I, and I know I've been talking a lot here, but I did. That's all right. I did. You're the, um, you're the, like I said, you're the you're the musician, not me. I did dig. Um, I found this Ry Cooter um, quote about about the movie, which I thought was good. I won't read the whole thing, but a couple of basically he says. He said that it was a really, really easy movie for him to um, work on, and he said because we've all um, we've all looked at that myth about the white kid going south, and I knew the signposts along the way. I had songs in my head that dealt with every scene in Crossroads, <laughs> which I thought was really, which I thought was really interesting because I think it, it, because you know Ray Cooter's a white guy, and. I think you, uh, and I don't think anybody would argue that Ry Cooter is not a master of his chosen um, um, exactly. style of music. Yes. And he's, uh, what's nice about the quote is that it does, you know, lend the movie a certain degree of credibility, right? If somebody like that is kind of saying, oh yeah, I looked all those scenes. Yeah, I got songs for all of them, right? Which means that the mo- the guys who are making the movie we're really trying to tap into right some of that culture that's there, right? So I thought that was a I thought it was actually a nice quote, and and I was glad that I stumbled I stumbled across it. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. The um, problem I have um, with the movies, and part of it is there's one scene where he Willie Brown is is calling Eugene out as as something of kind of like a a poser when it comes to being a, a blues musician and mm-hmm. says, look at your guitar. I bet you bought it because it looks all beat up. Mm-hmm. You had you have it all wrong, son. Muddy Waters invented electricity. I love mm-hmm. that line about Muddy Waters. Yeah. I think that's yeah, I think that's hysterical. The other line too, I, I always I just think the Willie Willie Brown lines when he says, Why don't you run home to your mama? And he says, I don't live at home. Where do you live? He says a dormitory. time sure is tough (laughs) a school dormitory um and i think that i don't have a problem with the formula the formula how formulaic it is i Mm -hmm. it's first of all it's a 1986 movie um and as we discussed formulas are there because they work they work there's an expectation even if you don't know exactly how how things are going to play out there's an expectation that you know, you'll have an up, you'll, you know, you'll have a false victory, you'll have a dark night of the soul, and ultimately you'll, you'll rally and, and defeat the bad guys along the way. And so all that's great. I, and I love the, the folklore they drop, and I love the flashbacks with the sepia tone film mm-hmm. that they use. It just, it, my, I have real problem with Ralph Macchio in this movie. Yeah. I, he, First of all, he learned almost all of the chords to play the music. I thought, uh, except the ends, apparently, but I thought he really looked like he was playing the guitar a lot compared to a lot of other other movies when somebody yes. is playing an instrument but, but not playing. I thought he did an excellent job with that. I have nothing against the guy. He was fine in Karate Kid. He, was, he played a solid role in, like, My Cousin Vinny. But there was... The, the look on his face when he was oh, playing yeah, and yeah, yeah. he's so thin he walks i mean he walks on like the balls of his feet 
I was gonna he's bouncing that. along. He walks really weird. He's like real thin, scrawny, and I just I wish you know there had to be two things. There had to be a, a better actor out there to really to to I, I I just I had a hard time buying him as a classical guitarist number one, but but fine. But as a guy who's going to be like this brilliant blues guy, I just something he was a weak spot, very weak spot for me. And I always I wonder, well, I know why, but it would have been great. You know, they could have taken an upper middle class kid, son of a doctor, but make him African-American kid who's studying classical guitar at Juilliard. But I know why they didn't, because then it would have been a quote black movie, end quote, and it would have done worse than it. It actually did, which was pretty yeah. freaking bad. Yes. So, all that said, if they if they did a stronger, more believable lead in Eugene, um, it would have been. I think it's a. I think it's a very good movie with some, some, uh, uh, not glaring, but some good. There's a lot there to like, and there's some flaws as well that keeps it from kind of. Keeps it from kind of sipping over into the territory of like a, a really, you know, kind of a not a great movie, but a really, really, really good movie. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think to a large extent, Ralph Macchio is my problem with it. <laughs> it doesn't help that they had him dressed like a hobo from the 30s through just... at least the first part of the movie. I mean, he was wearing that weird jacket and then yeah, those was it? Like pants seven... that went down to his ankles and they were like about 14 inches wide at the bottom. I mean, it was this bizarre outfit. Was that like, was that like Nor- Norm from Cheers? Was that Norm's jacket? It looked like seven machios could have fit into that stupid blazer. It was ridiculous. He just... I can't... It's hard for me to take him seriously. Yeah, I, and I you don't... He's not a good actor. I, I, I mean, can't. I, I don't. Have he a, wasn't in this. I'll, I'll. I'll say. He wasn't. I. I don't think he's a good. I mean, I think he's solid in certain roles. There's nothing, yeah. but not. And and he pulled a couple of things off in this movie. Well, like some of those moments of 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 his commenting on kind of how horrible the world actually is, right? As he's these life lessons. Some of those scenes, I I really thought were done very well, including the way that he he played the character. But overall, I agree with you. I think I think he is constantly as an actor seems to be getting kind of just swept up with what's going on around him. And even though that's kind of what's going on with his character as an actor, I don't think that that works. And he just looks at a place. Seneca is just overpowers him. circles around him. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just, it, it's holy cow. Him. Yeah. I mean, he really does. And, um, yeah, it just doesn't work. But it's interesting, as you were talking, I, I just realized, actually, maybe a better analogy for this movie is not the Karate Kid, but is the color of money. Oh, yeah, yeah, I could see that as well. I could see that because you got the you got the competition, you got the mentor. Yeah. Mentee relationship. Yeah. You got that gruff kind of real world. Yep. Um, yeah, that, that's that's. Um, that's true too. I just thought this plot was pretty much the Karate Kid almost the entire way, yeah. with a few, with a few twists and turns. Pretty, but that's not a bad one either. Yeah, I mean, I think if you, and it's, and I, I don't know of any any movie that has has really done 
kind of the, at least from my personal experience and my personal experience with, you know, trying to be a musician was trying really hard to be a musician, getting to a certain level of proficiency where um, I struggled for a couple of years recognizing that I would never get to the level of skill that I would need to do the things that I wanted to do as a musician. Um, and, you know, backing away because of that. Um, and I've watched a lot of movies about music and about, you know, that kind of experience and, and other arts call it, you know, broadly speaking, where that's a central thing. I've never really seen one that, that really, in my opinion, really does it particularly well. Um, and I think this is, this movie has a little bit more to it because you get into all that old, you know, blues mythology with Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil and all that kind of good stuff. So it is a little bit, you know, more than that. But I really don't know that many, any movie that really does this well. And it seems odd because it seems to be, it would be such fertile ground. I was just going to say it, it would be for if you, if you haven't found a movie that does it well, it, it does seem like it would be fertile ground. Um, speaking of, um, I just wanted to hit a little bit um, about Robert Johnson. He was born in 1911, died in 1938 from Mississippi. He was a blues guitar player who, who, and the only reason we really know him today was that, um, Don, a, a guy named Don Law, was smart enough to record him twice in 1936 in San Antonio and 1937 in Dallas. I thought that was good in the opening, too. The, I don't know how accurate it was, but it felt accurate. You know, the kind of the what we would consider rudimentary equipment today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he there's a nice scene of the guy pulling the the um i can't well, i don't know what the material is but off of the record as the needle is yeah like oh, pushing almost into like it. a cotton candy type of texture yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah. really yeah um and you know he's he's something of a mythical figure because not a lot was known about him for obvious reasons up until there was a bit of a revival and and you know music music the history started to become a to become a thing in, in colleges and there, you know, people would study the history of music and then the history of, you know, jazz and blues and they would go out into the field and, you know, it was 1930s. He was from the South. Um, he had a complicated family history with his mom. I think his biological father died. So he had a couple last names. So that doesn't help. It's, it's the teens and the twenties. Um, He's moving around. Uh, they lived in Memphis for a while. And he actually got, from my research, he actually got a good education uh, for the time. And then he was, you know, playing the guitar. And uh, supposedly he got on stage when Sunhouse and somebody else took a break and was, um, I think Sunhouse has a quote saying, his guitar playing was awful. 
and his harmonica player playing was marginally better than than his guitar playing. Then, you know, according to people, he disappeared for two or three years, came back and then blew the doors off with his guitar playing, which is sounds, you know, from what I was reading, sounds true because he um, a guy named Zimmerman, I forget the first name, another blues guitarist, took him under his wing. So he's probably off studying for two or three years. But, you know, this legend about the crossroads selling the soul to the devil, which is not new. There was other. And, um, you know, he died under mysterious circumstances because they didn't find his death certificate. So there's rumors he was poisoned. He was shot. He was this. He was that. They don't know where his grave is, you know, because um, he might have been put in a pauper's grave or. You know, so this kind of natural because he really, you know, because there weren't blues music stars Mm -hmm. that were, you know, being documented in, you know, newsreels and playing on Carnegie Hall and all these other things. Yeah. The and he died young. The mystery surrounded him. It's it's intriguing, but it, it nothing really screams to me like. Everything's the mystery about him all makes sense in time and place. You got a young African-American. He's moving from place to place. His genealogy is a little mixed up because he was fathered by one man who left or died. And then his mom remarried. So he took that guy's name, um, you know, and not filing for social security. There's no tax record. You know, it's just a really, yeah. it would be hard to track down anyone from that time period with any, with any great, uh, you know, with any great accuracy, but you know, this legend grew up. He's not the only one. I mean, Paganini supposedly, right. Wasn't there a legend about Paganini was such a, um, extraordinary violin player. Cause he sold his soul to the devil. Um, the, the other thing I would just, and the crossroads element of this is really, I was really fascinating stuff. The idea of the crossroads being a special place, a bad place, hmm. where they buried suicides, where they buried criminals, where they used to put the gals. I mean, it's in English kind of folklore. It's in Brazilian folklore. It's in uh, uh, Western Europe. It's in uh, parts of Africa where crossroads are a special place. Um, it's really kind of a neat, um, I guess device maybe um or just a, it's just a kind of a neat myth of you know there's this special place where you can summon you know something the devil or you know something it's just it the it came over from africa with slaves that idea but there was an idea you buried a vampire at the crossroads you know in in england right. you, or europe you'd bury a a vampire there because when it woke up it wouldn't know which way to go um or you buried a suicide there because crossroads were considered outside the territorial limit of a village so you weren't burying them it was kind of like no man's land so you'd bury right. them there and um it's just funny how it permeates all sorts of cultures um not just you know, so, some Southern blues traditions. I, I like the idea. I think there's a movie here that's better. You know, I think there's, I like the idea of Robert Johnson not being the center of it. Yes. Um, but I think there's a better movie here. I, I, 
I wish, I hope someday somebody kind of delves into this blues legend slash folklore. And that's why I want to read, well, I put that book on the list. We can get to that book too as almost an, uh, a companion piece, companion piece to this. But I, I like the movie. It's flawed, but the good stuff's really good. I think there is definitely good stuff in it. And I do think that the good stuff is really good. Um, I do think that there are a couple of things about it that just really make it difficult for me to, as I was watching, I was going to say, okay, I, I really don't need to see this again because I don't, because I think the good stuff did not outweigh the stuff that just either annoyed me or I thought was just going to, eh. one of them being Ralph. Ma- it's hard to watch a movie where the main guy is just such. A- it is right. And, and and what's so depressing too is because you're watching Seneca, who is just, you know, lapping him. <laughs> it just it's a, and, he's a, he's a uh, I mean, he's so outmatched. Yeah, it 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 really is. It's re- it's really very difficult in that regard. But um, Jamie Gertz is good. It's one of her first she, roles. She's, she's good. Fine. She's she's solid. She's she she does her job. She hits her marks. She does what she needs to do. And. Um, um, no chemistry between her and Ralph Macchio, but uh, quite None. frankly, I, I don't think I don't think there could be any chemistry with Ralph Macchio anywhere. Um, this movie, but in, in any event, uh, there just there's just there's too all. Much can of, I interrupt? Yeah, there's in, in a completely um, uh, a, a completely uh, innocent, non creepy way. There's more chemistry between her and Joe Seneca. Oh yeah, Absolutely. as a yeah. As him kind of looking out for her and her kind of yep. respecting him. They actually do have a bit of a chemistry. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So for me, I, I just, I, it, I, I wish I could kind of capture in like, I don't know, 20 minutes, right? Those things that I thought were really good um, and watch those. I really had a problem with the last, you know, the, 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 you know, guitar challenge. Um, uh, it, it just, you know, talk about reminiscent of Karate Kid. I mean, I mean, just the look on Machio's face through the whole thing, and yeah, yeah. I, Steve Vai is wonderful and fantastic for all sorts of reasons. Putting him in a movie to me is kind of why. Um, I think didn't, you, didn't... I think you hit that on the head. Apparently, apparently, that was one of the reasons, right? They thought it would draw more. Yeah, because yeah. this movie bombed, and I looked. Um, all I have for numbers is the U.S. box office is is just kind of shy of six million, but it doesn't. I don't know the. I, I don't know what the budget was, but it came out in mid March of 1986, and it wasn't up against anything that would blow. It was not like it was up against uh, uh, Jaws or Jurassic Park. Um, Where did it the, come out? In relation to the Karate Kid, it came out f- four years later. And I'm sorry, the Karate Kid two. Uh, that you know, good question. I'm not sure because it was the same year. It was the same year. Yeah. And um, I only say that to say this: um, the Back to the Future, which came out in 1985, had a better March of 1986 than this movie. Um, the March box office, <laughs> the March box office for Back to the Future, after it had been out like eight, nine, ten months, did almost ten million that March, and this this movie did did like, just shy of six. 
Yeah. And they heavily pushed it. But in all fairness, I much like uh, when we talked about Big Trouble in Little China, this is a weird one to market. It is. It's it's hard to market, and um, it, I, I think that they they just didn't do. They they kind of tried to kind of go halfway. I think with a lot of stuff, and I think that made it a little bit difficult. Like I mean, they could have made this much darker. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they didn't because it's a perfect 1986 film that way. Mm. That it gets dark, but not. It, you just never think it's not going to work out. <laughs> you know <laughs> it's going to work out. <laughs> yes, if they made this. If they made this like sometime after seven uh, came out, it might be a much darker movie where yeah. <laughs> Joe Seneca has to not only like, you know, re- you know, kind of reformat the contract. He's got to sacrifice Ralph Macchio too at the crossroads. <laughs> It'd be interesting. <laughs> Blood you sacrifice. Know, you know, this would be an interesting movie if you, if you made it a little bit longer and and maybe P.T. Anderson directing it huh. might might be really interesting. Um, or what's his name? Um, uh, if you wanted it to be a little bit more lighthearted, the guy who did Sideways, what's his name? Uh, shoot. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I know his mean. name. Yeah. But, uh, but it's interesting. I mean, I don't, what I don't understand is, I, I, well, I guess with the cast and, and all that, but Walter Hill's kind of a big, big name in, in Hollywood. But so For 48 hours. So Machio did The Outsiders in 83, which was a movie that had every actor of an age in it. Everybody. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. And then he did in 84, The Karate Kid, which was his kind of breakout. Huge hit. Huge hit. Nothing in 85. In 86, he does this in Karate Kid 2. Nothing in 87. There's a movie called Distant Thunder in 88. And then Karate Kid 3 in 89. And then I don't think he did anything noteworthy since then other than a a fairly limited role in My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, yeah. Um... Which I'm not surprised about. I mean, he's just not a particularly, in my my. Kind of what I've seen, just not a particularly good actor. Although I've not seen Cobra Kai, I, I know I've heard he's, some people have said it's good, but I haven't seen it. It is good. It's, Cobra Kai is like a lot of fun, but he's still not a. It's not that he's not a good actor. It's just that you have to give him the right role, and it's he. Mm. It's 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 a specific. It's a specific type of role, and he's solid in it, but he doesn't have a lot of you know he's he doesn't have a lot of um, range. Mm. Or he's not given an opportunity to, but he's just, you know, he's fine. But that's about, you know, there's plenty of fine. He's he's solid actor in certain roles. Yeah. Um. But you know, hopefully he did okay for himself. Uh, yeah, his later career isn't all that, all that impressive. But I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he likes Broadway. I don't know if he's like right. Could be Karate Kid, but directing, producing, right? Who? Who knows? I know he's happy. He seems to have been like happily married since like 1987 to the same woman. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, just not the. I never quite got the Ralph Macchio thing. Um, like the fact that he became 
a star is yeah. weird weird to me yeah but uh, maybe i'm i'm probably even back in the 80s i probably was not the audience for for um the ralph macchio the ralph macchio thing yeah i i i, I would like there to be maybe another movie that delves into this kind of thing um and hopefully the book we read you know that if i recall correctly somebody could probably um craft that into an interesting but you know a movie like crossroads wouldn't be made today at a big at at a big movie company not unless captain america was in it yeah yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> um <laughs> uh yeah so that's about it i i like the movie it's flawed it's interesting um boy it's nice to see joe seneca though he's just Oh yeah, such a powerhouse. Just in every, he just chews the scenery in every every scene. Yeah, just phenomenal. And um, uh, and and Gert s- sticks with him. Macho is just completely overpowered. And as I said, the the list of other character actors in there, um, they're, they're just great. It's great to see them all. Um, yeah, yeah there's, there's a ton the, of them. There's so many seeds in this movie. There's so many good ideas that, in in my view, just didn't they didn't focus on quite enough they didn't bring out enough they didn't they didn't try to stay true to um i would actually be i would be very interested to see you know a really good direct you know someone who really knows what they're doing a really good director modern director um try to do a, a remake and focus in on some of those elements and bring them out more than they they did in this in this version yeah this is the kind of movie like i never i never understood remaking great movies yeah but there's a bunch of movies out there you say like yeah you know what this this is the one that could be reworked and and go from solid or or just you know good or disposable good entertainment into something like let's let's see if we can work it it'd have to be a period piece you know they couldn't be walking around with their with their iPhones. You know um, what? As I'm thinking about this, the person who, and it, he may be a little bit beyond his, his prime, but I bet the person who could have really done something with this and just let it gestate after I say this for a little bit, unless it, it strikes you immediately, is um, Martin Scorsese. Well, he's done... He's done things other than, you know, mob movies, and he can yeah. certainly, he can certainly, um, he can certainly do something gritty. I don't know if a guy from New York City, you know, it's, uh, would have the, uh, you know, it's uh, cultural, and don't know whether he could excel at the Southern. Cult- I'm joking. Um, maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, but when you it's think a about primitive, it, it's a primitive movie and uh, it's cultural. And uh... but when you think about how well Scorsese builds relationships of people outside of the ordinary, right? Not not people you and I would necessarily, you know, come across in our daily lives, right? Kind of a thing. When he when he really you know gets in there and. Um, um, finds 
you know those like 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 a movie like Goodfellas I think is a is a great example of what Martin Scorsese at his best can do. And I think one of the reasons that the movie Goodfellas is so is so good is because it's not just a movie about mobsters, it's a movie about people. And it may not be people who are immediately recognizable to everybody, but they're, they're definitely about people. Um, and I think that uh, <clears throat> something like this, taking that story, right, selling your soul to the devil, the old and crusty guy who's, you know, trying to get his soul back. He's on his own mission and some, you know, dumb kid. I think someone like Scorsese, I think that would be an interesting, it would be, I think it, I think it could be very interesting. I think I'm a, I'm a big fan. So I think, yeah, he could pretty much do anything he put his, put his mind to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe they'll, maybe we'll see it. They don't even remake movies like this though. So no, they don't. I'm, yeah. I think but I would we're... like to see something kind of similar in the same vein. Um, I wonder if it's out there. I don't know. But that's all I have as we are coming up on the hour and a half mark. Yep. Um, quickly, um, I'm just reading what we plan on doing next. The I yes. delved into the Carl Edward Wagner. Can't, uh, I believe it's Dark Crusade, right? Yes, Dark Crusade. Uh, so that's pretty much all I am focused on now. I was watching a Robert Johnson um, Netflix documentary mm. as well. Which I haven't finished yet, so um, that's kind of what I'm. Uh, and you know, talks about what remarkable influence this guy who died before he was died before he was th- a lot like Charlie Christian. Um, who the, the Charlie Christian uh, guitarist with the Benny Goodman's band? Oh, died I think before he was thirty as well. But you, when you talk to guitarists years later decades later they go back to these two guys as influences you know everybody from yeah. clapton to keith richards and who else now i'm sure everybody. pat Metheny. yeah everybody. everybody so um and uh so i'm gonna f- have to finish that and i'm reading the Kane dark dark crusade dark crusader i forget dark crusade yeah that's all i'm doing right now yeah i'm reading um that um, and Master and Margarita. Ah, oh, great book. Good for you. First time? Yeah, hard to penetrate. I've got to say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. It, it's a trip. It's, it's, it's a trip. <laughs> um, the stuff about Pontius Pilate in there is trippy. It's all, it, it's all, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I love it, but it's crazy. It's it's interesting. I mean, I I I'm I'm not too far into it, um, but I'm I'm kind of seeing a little bit about how this book is shaped, and it's intriguing. So you also I'm, have I'm to go forward to push through. And you also have to go. I mean, if you really care, you got to look at okay, politically, what was going on in the Soviet Union at the oh, time? Yeah. Who's yeah. who? Really in the book and all that type of thing. But yeah, um, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. This was fun. Did you? I, we. I hope you were glad you watched it. it yeah, wasn't, I, a, wasn't I, it sure? It wasn't a chore. I'm glad I watched it. I don't think I'll go back to it again. But it was. But what was really nice about this movie? It had a lot we could talk about. Exactly, and that's yep. what I said to you. Was like, 
I really don't want to pick perfect films because I'm just (laughs) not that insightful to come up with anything new (laughs) about the perfect film. I mean, I would like to discuss something like um, uh, Citizen Kane one day, Uh, but you know, The Exorcist and The Godfather, they'd be fun to talk about, but everybody's talked about them. Everybody's talked to the death for the reasons because, you know, they're damn near perfect. Yeah. So, oh, I'm also watching Logan's Run. The movie or the, the TV movie. series? Yeah, the movie. Oh, the movie. Okay. Oh, we should put that on the list because uh, that, that is not should. a perfect movie. No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was, a, that was a good one. All right. Sounds stay, good. Stay warm. You too.